you have your Bibles, let's go this morning to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be considering just one verse this morning, verse 18. Congratulate JP and Natalie on their union yesterday. I was able to tell them myself yesterday, thank you for allowing God to work in your lives and prepare you to create a new home for his glory. And praise the Lord for that, for sure. And uh, praise the Lord for their families who reared them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to be sure. I want to remind you tonight, I hope you're able to come. There's a brief meeting to share with you all the good news that's going on in relationship to our spiritual goals for the future. And uh, it'll be very brief. We'll give you an opportunity uh, to be excited about what God's doing here continually in Jerusalem as we seek to um, honor him uh, in the future, to be sure. If you read your folders this morning, we gave a little three-word um, uh, explanation of our sermon uh, taken from Romans 8.18. Uh, let's read that text uh, together. Real quickly, hopefully you'll be able to understand where this three-word explanation comes from. Paul says here, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I really believe the King James Version has it more properly translated the glory that is to be revealed in us, in us. Um, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we would ask you now to give us help from thy spirit in relationship to understanding this verse within its context. And I pray, Lord, that we would um, leave this place certainly encouraged in the reality of our future in comparison with our present. We know, Lord, that chapter 8 is about really the security of the believer. No condemnation, no contention, no separation. We examine a whole chapter here, many verses, describing for us all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, in our past, certainly in our present, and definitely in our future. So for today, Lord, as we hunker down, if you will, in this verse that you've given to us, may our hearts be instructed and encouraged and overjoyed with its immense truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Temporary suffering compared to eternal glory. Temporary suffering in compared to eternal glory. As you study different authors that have written about this text, uh, you will find many of them very, very sheepish to even begin to approach the depth and the breadth of this subject. Certainly it's easy for us, easier for us to describe temporary suffering. But it's very difficult for us to describe eternal glory. We know what the Bible says about it. We'll look at some of those things here as we conclude this morning. Um, but we tremble 
as God's people to be able to discuss and fully explain something we've never experienced before. Something that is indeed glorious, but none of us have yet experienced in reality. We're going to try to explain it as best we can. And I think as we do so from God's word, your hearts will be tremendously encouraged um, as we depart today. There are varying degrees of suffering in the Christian life. I've told you that really the Roman church at this particular time in their existence was not a church that was enduring what we would call severe suffering. But I think we need to be very, very careful to compartmentalize varying degrees of suffering. Suffering is suffering. If you understand the truth of scripture of how God would have us handle suffering, he doesn't give different directives of handling severe suffering from general suffering. All the directives are the same, which should tell us something, that God knows in our fallen condition that regardless of the degree of suffering that we're enduring, we need ministered to. We need ministered to. I endured tremendous persecution this morning just when I walked into the auditorium. Someone walked up to me and handed me an Oklahoma napkin. I need ministered to today. That's abuse of the highest kind. I told him I wouldn't touch it, but I did. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, really, if you, beyond that silly anecdotal Thing, and I know you know who handed me that napkin. And, uh, we can reverse persecute later. Um, there are really folks in our auditorium this morning that are enduring some things that hurt. I'm just going to describe without mentioning names some of these things. There are people in our auditorium that have a disease that doctors don't know what causes it. And they can only tell you, so they don't know a cure for it. They can only tell you what exacerbates it and makes it worse. It's very hard for these people to live during the day, let alone extend more of their time to come to church, worship, serve, try to win a soul or two in town along the way because their energy levels are always sapped because of this incurable disease. But they do know that the only thing that exasperates it is either particular things in their diet and or stress. Not all stress is bad stress. We all live under stress. Sometimes it's just being busy doing a lot of good things. But seated among you today are some people who are in physical agony who seek to still serve the Lord faithfully. And they are seated among you, many of them unidentified, faithfully serving the Lord to the best of their ability, longing for others to know the same grace and mercy of God that they enjoy to faithfully serve because those who are without illnesses serve less. They invest less. They care less. 
And that's an agony to their soul. Did you ever contemplate that there's an agony to the soul? There's a suffering, there's an affliction that comes to the faithful of God's people as they look around and they long for the unfaithful to enjoy their life that God's graced them with. And it's very difficult to persuade the unfaithful to be faithful. We all know someone who has children that have abandoned them because of the parents' faith. Seated among us today are parents in agony because their children who have been taught lovingly and patiently the truths of Scripture and of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, have walked away. Choosing the things of this world, the delights of this world, rather than choosing to serve Christ. There are some of us here this morning who are here week after week after week without your spouse. I'm always amazed at how God's grace operates in your life, man or woman, as you faithfully serve God, longing for your husband or wife to be here. There's two kinds of those people. There's those people who are widows or widowers. Do you know how hard it is to come to church? without someone that you faithfully worship with for 30, 40, 50 years? You know the guttural agony that these people endure the first time and many times after the first time they come back to church and they really don't want to be there. But they persevere by God's grace and they do it and they find it to be worth it. But then there's that other spouse who has a husband or wife that's still living, but yet to come to know Jesus. You know the, the agony in their soul? Week after week, month after month, year after year, begging God to demonstrate his mercy to their spouse. What a great joy it would be for them to be side by side with their spouse, singing God's praises and learning from God's word, worshiping together. I don't want to forget the kids who are here, the young people who know the Lord Jesus Christ, whose parents are yet to know the Lord Jesus. We sympathize with you and we intercede with you for the souls of your folks because I know you long for your parents to know the same Jesus that you do. What about that high schooler or college and career saint who knows Christ that comes faithfully and they've demonstrated their burden for someone that they've been witnessing to, a lifelong friend, a childhood friend who has yet to come to know Christ as their savior. And I don't know that we ever should forget the agony of any of us who truly love lost souls and try to win them to Christ, the 
the agony of the wait for the harvest is intense. It's intense. The Lord Jesus stood outside the city of Jerusalem before his triumphal entry. And Luke 19 says he looked up to the city and he wept. He wept for his own who would not believe in him. He wept for souls. There's an intense agony in the soul for the faithful saint who truly has compassion on lost friends that need Jesus Christ. Regardless of the degree of suffering that you endure, and I know that this is just a sampling of all the various kinds of affliction that we endure. Regardless what we endure, our hearts are quick to run to texts like Romans 8.18. Because this is where we assure our hearts in the here and now as we look to our hope in Jesus Christ. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. I'd like to take this verse and just divide it up into three simple sections for our understanding this morning as we continue. First of all, I'd like to discuss our personal approach, our personal approach to suffering. All of us need one. All of us need an approach. And then number two, I'd like to discuss our perspective. Our personal approach and then our perspective in relationship to understanding suffering. And then I'd like to consider the prize that we all will enjoy if we endure suffering well. Our personal approach, our perspective, and then the prize. What have we heard for weeks now in relationship to preparing for Irma? What have we heard? We've heard hundreds of reporters law enforcement officials, government officials, encouraging people to prepare. Encouraging people to prepare. And how many times have you heard this phrase in the last few weeks? Things don't matter at all. What matters is life. Things don't matter. What matters is that you're alive. It's interesting it takes something like this to bring us back to that perspective and that reality, but that people that endure these kinds of catastrophes, they really come to realize that, and what's really interesting is they're okay with it. <laughs> They'll weep over having lost their wedding album and the portraits of their children, but in comparison to actually having their children and having their spouse, it's incomparable, isn't it? It's well thought through. Hurricane preparation is very detailed, well thought through. 
the plan of escape from the catastrophe is very uh, lucidly given. And especially with this kind of a storm, you have to try hard to fail in getting away from it. Paul says in the first part of verse number 18, for I consider, this is our approach, for I consider. The word consider has been used 15 times already in our study of the book of Romans. It's the Greek word logizomai, that means nothing to you and it doesn't need to need anything to you but this. You don't have to remember the Greek word. But it has as its root um, a mathematic understanding. It means to carefully study and to reason. Some of us are gifted at math and some of us are not. Regardless of your gifting with that particular subject, it requires logic and reasoning. There's a process to figuring out the appropriate answer for any formula or equation. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. As much as you might strain in figuring out your algebra true to equation or formula, or your pre-calc, whatever it is, we, we need to give the same kind of attention, detailed order, because if you get 80% or 90% of a mathematic formula correct and you get the other percentage wrong, the answer is gonna be what? It's gonna be wrong. So Paul is saying here, you've got to get this right. If you don't get the thought process right, there's a certain part of glory that you won't understand when you see it. So enduring affliction well is very critically important for us this side of heaven. Paul's asking us to rise above the emotion of our current circumstances. He's asking us to simply grasp the reality that is ours in Jesus Christ right now, to process through all that we have in him and are in him and all that he's graced us with to endure this time. He's asking us really, in, in essence, to, re, be re, to be reminded that life is a vapor. It appears just for a short time. Our lives are rarely longer than three score and 10, 70 years old. And boy, isn't that true? I'm gonna be like half a century in January. Right? And some of you just chuckle at that because that seems like a long time ago to you. Right? But what do we always say? The older we get, the faster what? the faster the time goes. So Paul's actually saying here in the grammar, life's fast, it's a vapor, but when it comes to suffering and affliction, you've got to slow down and consider the process. You've got to handle it well, by God's grace, in preparation for glory. In preparation for glory. And as we do this, we'll be much more objective as we endure all the varied emotions, degree of emotions that come with any kind of suffering and conflict. Only with proper preparation, only with proper approach, can we persevere through the storm and do more in the storm than just survive. Survive. 
Quite frankly, if proper preparations are made, then the end game is never just surviving the storm of suffering or affliction for the Christian, but maturing during the affliction, whereby the affliction becomes the preparation ground for enjoying maturity in Christ to a greater degree, and indeed in time glory in our eternal future. As we've seen in other passages, affliction and glory are often set side by side in the Bible. We'll look at that a little bit later in relationship to the prize. Suffering serves many purposes in our lives, but most critical in our context here is preparation for and enjoying certainty. Remember, Romans 8 is about certainty. It's about security. It's about all these layers of spiritual blessings that the God has, ex has extended to us in Jesus Christ. So how well we suffer determines how future glory is enjoyed. So we've got to pay attention to the approach. Let's continue to do that as we move on into our second aspect of this verse, our perspective. Part of having a proper approach is having a proper perspective. As we've already stated, we need to remember that chapter 8 is all about our security in Christ. All 39 verses underpin the reality that there is no safer place for a soul to be on earth or in eternity than, than in Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of a proper perspective, especially when we continue understanding the nature and purpose of suffering in the Christian life. So regardless of the degree of suffering our souls are enduring while we are in Christ, we need to understand some matters of perspective. I'm gonna rifle out for you these matters of perspective, and then we're gonna go back and handle them. I could give one week per aspect of perspective, but we're not gonna do that because we wanna finish uh, Romans sometime within the next millennia. Okay. First of all, we need to own the identity. Proper perspective includes owning the right identity. Secondly, in relationship to perspective, we need to realize its brevity. Identity, brevity. Now remember, I'm going to detail these out because what are we supposed to do in our approach? All gives am I. You got to reason through it. Got to carefully think through the layers of what's going on here in preparation for glory. Identity, brevity. Thirdly, we need to adjust to its severity. Adjust to its severity. Next, we are to fulfill its responsibility. Fulfill its responsibility. And finally, discern its quality. Discern its quality. The scripture addresses every one of these aspects in relationship to our perspective on suffering. So first of all, own the identity. Paul says here again, for I consider that the sufferings, the identity is found in that word sufferings. It's really interesting to me in the New Testament that when the Lord Jesus Christ suffers and when we suffer, the same Greek words used. The suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ was not different than the suffering we endure. Now, none of us, because we're God, could not 
endure the cross. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is a capable advocate because he endured similar sufferings as we have. And we are enduring. It's a very common word for suffering, but nonetheless used of both our Savior and of us. Our understanding of security within the family of God is only strengthened when we see that our sufferings were similar to that of our Savior's. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. You can hold your fingers there in Romans 8. Let's go to 1 Peter 4 together. A text that we alluded to um, last time. He says in verse 1 and 2, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the what? Same purpose. This is our identity. We are actually on this earth being ambassadors of Jesus Christ by enduring suffering the same way he did, and we're gonna understand what the nature of the same way is here in a second. It's gonna be very easy to understand. But we take great joy in understanding that we are ambassadors, and my friends remember, remember last week? Why do we take great joy in affliction? Because it actually identifies us as adopted children. As adopted children now, we get to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in the way we suffer. It goes on to say here, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Certainly the Lord Jesus Christ was sinless, but there's, a, there's something about the nature and the process of identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ suffering here that, that continues to not positionally transform the Christian soul, but practically grow us in maturity. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered for our sin as a sinless soul. But as redeemed souls, we still struggle with sin. And one way that we identify with Christ as being ambassadors of representing suffering, representing him through suffering in the proper way is to make sure that we are not continually, habitually living in particular patterns of sin, but we're gradually allowing suffering to remove us from that environment of perpetual lifestyle in sin. We know from the book of 1 Peter that's certainly one of the purposes for suffering. It's to, to bring that dross to the top so it can be skimmed away. But this is what we do. I asked you last week on your own time to consider uh, verses two to six. We arm ourselves with this same mind so as to live the rest of our time no, no longer to the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Why did Jesus come? To glorify God, to do his will. For the time already is past, sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. The Gentiles here just mean people that don't know Jesus. Having pursued, of course, of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, partying, drinking parties, and idolatries. In all this, they, those who don't know Jesus, are surprised that you do not run with them anymore, 
and they, some of them malign you because you don't run with them anymore. You don't party with them anymore. You're not involved with that old dark lifestyle that defines you outside of Jesus Christ. But verse five, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are spiritually dead. That though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to God. Now folks, we're representing Christ. Remember identity. This is the first aspect of perspective. So Paul's not telling the Roman people here, you need to get a grip because you're behind the eight ball on this one. Remember, he doesn't bring any criticism against this church. This is a strong maturing church. He's just saying, remember this, guys. Don't ever lose perspective. People are always watching outside of the family of God how you are enduring suffering. They're always watching. And what is the first thing that they recognize about you as a believer who's enduring suffering? You have a changed life. Isn't that interesting? They're not first looking at how peaceful and joyful you are in the enduring of your suffering. They recognize there's something different about your character. And because there's something different about your character, there's also something different about the company that you primarily keep in your life. And because they realize that that would have to take a supernatural change in your heart to pull yourself away from that old lifestyle to the new lifestyle in Jesus Christ, you've probably identified with someone who in his life has done the same thing. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who endured the cross, despising the shame because obedience to his father was necessary in order to die a sufficient death for our sin. They recognize that change of character you're identifying. And, and in this context, some of the suffering even came because that identified with Jesus Christ and his suffering and the why he came. Some of the suffering came from old friends they used to run with and party with that they don't anymore. And they just couldn't understand but I think it's important to understand for us here as we go back to Romans 8, how we identify. And I go to Romans first, excuse me, 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2, because we're asked to arm ourselves with this same mind and the, the context delineates what we've discussed. So identity. Identity. Brevity. What does the text say? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, brevity. There are a couple things Paul is trying to relate to us here. First of all, suffering may be periodic or it may be perpetual in your life, but it's never eternal. It may be periodic and perpetual, for the here and now, but it's never and will never be eternal. You've already cross-referenced in the margin of your Bible here, 2 Corinthians chapter four, that we'll highlight in our final point this morning. Paul calls our current sufferings and affliction, he called his current sufferings and afflictions temporary and light when you compare them to the eternal weight of glory. 
temporary and light. Now, we discuss varying degrees of affliction. The Bible addresses those varying degrees of affliction the same way. But the kind of affliction Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4, not many of us, if any of us, have endured that at all. And he still calls being beaten, afflicted, imprisoned, almost a loss of life, a light affliction for perspective. Perspective, identity, brevity. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered immeasurably compared to the Apostle Paul, that's identity. Now brevity, the Lord Jesus Christ's suffering was temporal. The degree of my suffering, Paul says, is less, but it's also short. It's also short. And when I'm able to identify with Christ in my suffering, that gives me purpose in my suffering, which alleviates my heart again, because it's unto eternal purposes. Maybe some of these people around me that are watching would see the grace of Christ and joy in my life as a result of suffering, even though I love the company of God's people. And maybe they'll come and ask about my Jesus sometime. But these sufferings are for this present time. This present time. The severity. What about the severity? of affliction. I want you to write down here, we won't go back to it for sake of time, 1 Peter 4, 13 to 19. In 1 Peter 4, 13 to 19, we're given a passage of scripture that tells us that there's suffering, but there's two kinds of suffering. There's suffering that comes to us because it's self-inflicted. And then there's suffering that's granted to us by God himself. In other words, it's self-afflicted because of our our poor manner of living, instead of living godly, we're living unrighteously. And we bring our own affliction. But then there's the suffering that God allows in his good providence. And we understand the nature of its severity regardless of either kind. If we bring suffering to ourselves because it's discipline of the Lord from living poorly, we've got to understand the nature of its severity, don't we? Unfortunately, there are a handful of believers that often mope about in their suffering, forgetting that their suffering they've brought upon themselves. And it's kind of time to wake up and smell the spiritual coffee and say, guys, look, you write some things in your life God and his grace will put you on the right path and you can bring yourself out of that suffering. So realize the severity of that kind of suffering has a purpose too, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But many of us, if not all of us in the auditorium this morning, are enduring God-appointed kinds of suffering. Regardless of the degree of its severity, let's not disrespect any degree of suffering. Often our attention goes to the person that's been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer that's been given two months to live. And the person that's just lost their job and wonders how they're gonna make the next house payment, right, is kinda slips through the cracks at the expense of something that seems much more severe, but let's, let's respect. 
that those are God-appointed, God-allowed degrees of suffering. And we need to recognize the severity of both for each person and encourage them to walk faithfully and make sure that they're ministered to. But I encourage you, regardless of the degree of suffering, to remember 1 Peter 4, 19. God has allowed you to endure suffering. Entrust yourself to him because he is a faithful creator while you continue to do good. Regardless of the degree of the severity, entrust yourself to him. Know that our divine tutor is working out in your life to the detail. Even to the degree of suffering, entrust yourself to him. Something that by his grace you need, that I need. But for all of us, our activity never changes. We stay faithful. Continue to do good. What's our responsibility? Go with me to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. Again, I just want to recall to your attention regularly, this is a chapter about security. This is a chapter about no, better, no, no safer place to be in the world than in Jesus Christ. Both now and in our future. So verse 18 is here just more reassurances, more directives, more guidelines uh, how to make sure we keep realizing this, the joys of this secure place. Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things that through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through what? This is about the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ, our creator. to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings, to prove who he is, to demonstrate to us that he was not just fully God, but he was fully man, to be the example for us. In verse 11, for both who he sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brother and in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise and again I will put my trust in him and again behold I and the children whom God has given me. The Lord Jesus Christ faithfully endured his responsibility in suffering and we're the beneficiaries of that divine faithfulness, aren't we? What would be our responsibility? My friends, it would be the same to live faithfully through the affliction, to be assured that we can live faithfully through it, to actually rise above it, to mature through it, to prepare ourselves for more divine opportunity, 
to allow God through that affliction to expand our spiritual coasts of influence. And we certainly are glad the Lord Jesus was faithful um, because we are certainly the beneficiaries of that span of influence. We need to discern its quality. Its quality. To stay on the same illustrative path because of the last few weeks we've been living and hearing so much. Um, you know, evacuations in these kind of storms um, can have their trials, can't they? No gas, <laughs> no water, ran out of gas in a traffic jam. You know, there were more people in Hurricane Andrew that passed away of heat exhaustion having been stuck in traffic jams on the evacuation routes, and there were people actually dried because of the storm. Right. Evacuation plans are necessary, and they're helpful, but they're not without their difficulty. Right. When I talk about the quality, the quality of various kinds of suffering, I need to be careful. Because when we think of severity, we don't often think of quality. As a matter of fact, we question quality when we're going through severity. That's our human nature. So as we endure various kinds of affliction and sometimes even persecution from unbelief, they are not meant to keep you safe all the time, physically. That's why we've been given Hebrews 11. Some were torn asunder. Some were torn apart. Some were ravaged. But there was a quality about that intensity that was able to do this. In their lives, it was able to demonstrate omnipotent grace through them that others could marvel, and that's why we're asked, therefore being given such a great cloud of witnesses, run with patience the race that's set before you. So let's be careful with the understanding of quality and severity. The quality of a God-given trial or suffering will never be anything but quality as we, by God's grace, handle the varying severities in each. Now, I would really like to, the next time we're together, next Sunday morning, spend the whole time on the prize. I, um, I really would like to just spend time on the glory. We've looked at a couple aspects of the agony, the approach and the perspective. I'd like to talk about the prize and spend time on the glory for just a whole sermon. Would that be okay? Yeah. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you. Uh, next Lord's Day, 
I wish I could bring you all back a gift from Buenos Aires. I don't know what's popular in Buenos Aires. I've never been there. I've never been on that continent. But uh, if I can find something to bring back to all of you, I'll do it. But if I can't, just understand my heart to do so. So we'll look forward to next Sunday and about the glory that awaits us, right? All right, let's pray together.